Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. I'm Leo Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sounds and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks for making your way here. Thanks for checking out this series and this episode. If you're not a subscriber, uh, hit that subscribe button. This series, we put out brand new interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and it's a great way to keep up with all of your favorite artists, discover some new ones, know what's happening in the music world. Of course, uh, you can uh, find us wherever you're listening from right now, but also uh, all the major podcast hotspots like iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, or any place that you like to get yours from. I'm Kyle Meredith, and today I'm going to be talking with Patty Smythe. It's been 28 years since Patty Smythe put out a brand new album, but she has returned with It's About Time. Obviously, a playful title right there. But poignant as well is what she's actually talking about with, within the songs. We'll discuss the uh, the lost freedom of, uh, of growing up uh, in, in the way kids did in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and how she says we're currently overparenting all of our kids. Uh, music as the great unifier between people, the rewards of long relationships. That gets into her discussing a little bit of her uh, longstanding marriage with John McEnroe. We'll also talk about covering Tom Waits. She is uh, now on a couple occasions uh, recorded Downtown Train. 
She'll also mention the time that she recorded for the Armageddon soundtrack, and we'll bring up the small asterisks in that first album in, uh, in 28 years type of thing, because there was a Christmas record that she sort of kind of released a couple years ago. So that's where we'll start, and we'll hear about new songs that she's already writing. So let's get into us discussing It's About Time. It's Kyle Meredith with Patty Smythe. Hi, Kyle. So to to be fair, you did release a Christmas album a few years ago, and and I, I released it, but I didn't really officially release it. You know, I put it out, but I didn't go to a label, and I didn't do a whole lot. I did some promos, so, so yes, I released it, but quietly. You know, I yeah. just sort of slipped it under your door. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really, really do like "Come on December." Um, it was a really good song, and, and the video was fun. Some cameos there from Sharon Osbourne. I I just saw the video for the first time the other day, and. Does this, is, do you count this as the official comeback? Uh, I mean, I, God, who, I guess it's a comeback. I, I don't, I haven't heard comeback a lot, which is good. It is the first album in a long ass time. There's no question about it. I put new music out on soundtracks in between and mm-hmm. I put out a greatest ticks and re, you know, with two new songs and remixed that was, you know, in 99. So it's been, you know, it's been a long ass time. There's no question about it. And it is about time that I did it. But you know, it's funny, somebody pointed it out. It's about time that I put out new music and my new music is about time. Oh, true. <laughs> Look at that. But you, it's not like you stopped writing this whole time, right? As I read in some of the other interviews, it wasn't that you put it completely on the shelf. No, I was writing, you know, all the time. I wrote a song um, that went on the Armageddon soundtrack called Wish I Were You, which was a song I wrote about my husband, John, when we first met. I wrote it with Glenn Burtnick. And I was writing with all different writers. You know, I'd get these clump of songs and then I'd try to figure out how to record them or if they were right. And sometimes I wouldn't finish them. And, and then I'd get distracted and on to the next thing. But I mean, dozens of songs I've written for sure over the years. And then then I went back and found some old ones, like Only One is an older song, and even um, Build a Fire, which came out this week, that's the second single on this record, it was called, Fi- it was called Surprise. And I wrote it about, you know, it's sort of, it, what a surprise it was to still like my husband after, you know, 20 something years of marriage and, and still, you know, being attracted to him. And it was, it was mind blowing. I mean, I would have never believed that. So, right. and I don't know why or how that happened, but. So, you know, that's an older song too. That was probably eight years ago. And then, then I wrote a bunch of new songs and then I went back and, you know, I'm always writing. Mm-hmm. So it's short stories or it's poetry or it's lines down, but I definitely stepped back. I mean, I, and I've been touring for the last 12 or 13 years, you know, in the summer I do 20, 25 dates, some summers more, some less. And, uh, it just seemed like it was hard to get back into the studio. I, I couldn't quite get in with the right person. And I don't think I, I had the right songs or something, you know, like I was writing, they were almost right, but they weren't quite right. So I would start, I'd spend money, I'd do it and I'd be like, no, I don't think this is right. And then on a whim, I just, you know, ran into Dan Huff at a BMI thing down in Nashville. And I just was like, would you, would you be interested in doing an EP? I just want to record six songs. Would you help me out? And he goes, are they country? Is it country? I'm like, no. He goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He has a lot of country, and he's great, but he's a rock dude, that guy. Yeah. Well, it, it, I think it was in one of the early interviews for this, you had said that the songs, they became poignant and relevant to you. Like, like said, and I think that's a little bit of what you're talking about right now, too. Like, like do you, can you pinpoint, like, what changed? What did you notice finally changed, where it finally synced up like that? I, I guess, you know, as a writer, 
you know when you have a good song and, and, and it's the right song. And for me, Drive, even though I had these other songs, when I finished Drive, then I knew that this was going to be the record. You know, like I, I was going to put my, build my record around that. Right after I wrote Drive, I wrote Losing Things and No One Gets What They Want. That was another thing that I felt like they're kind of in the same sort of circle. And for me, Drive was an amends song. It was sort of a, I don't know, it was a very personal song that I didn't know I was going to write. I had the music, I had the melody, and I didn't know what the song was about. And, and then I just had this nagging feeling about, you know, my a relationship that, was, that I felt estranged in. And so I just, I picked up an old photograph and that was it. And I wrote the song about that. And I feel like that was sort of this catalyst of like, you know, our, we've lived so much of a life now at this point, you know, for me and just the yearning to break free of all of it. And just to go back to a time where I didn't even know I was free. When I was a kid, all I wanted to do was grow up and be an adult. So no one could tell me what to do. Honestly, if you asked me what I wanted to be, I said, I would say a grown up. Yeah. And so to realize, you know, like just the idea of like, I just had this vision of riding under these tree lined streets in Queens in New York. And I think that was the moment. I, and I felt like this was a really good song because it was an honest song and it hurt me to write it. And so that's, I guess, when I knew, like I started circling the wagons around that song, I guess. So I don't didn't even realize it, but I but now that you ask me, I think that's what happened. And it's a great song. You, there was something else again, and uh, I'll quote another interview here where you talk about um, further on in the meaning of that song about uh, the difference in growing up, and I really connected with that. Like I have um, a twelve year old who's almost thirteen. You know, I'm nearly forty myself, and and you know even myself. You know, I I grew up in the '80s, and it was mm -hmm. so different. And I think I point that out probably more than he wants to hear it, uh, but. But that is an interesting thing, and that's part of the story, right? Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, I there was a, a freedom this whole country had, in a way, you know, that we're so, I mean, I could almost weep to think about how far we are from that moment in time for me, you know, like, but it was a safer place, maybe? I don't know, you know, I, I don't even know if it was or not. We just got lucky, mm -hmm. but I know that the way that I raised my kids was that they were not you know, out of my sight for like seven, eight hours a day. I mean, you know, I got on my bicycle and I was gone all day long. And even in the winter, my sister and I would be rolling around down the hills, sledding all day. We wouldn't come home until it was dark out. I mean, they, my mom did not know where we were. She'll, she'll tell you she did, but she did not know where we were. And um, even on the beach, you know how many times my sister saved me from drowning on Jones Beach? I mean, I, don't, I know my mom was there, but she wasn't in the water with us and there's a crazy undertow there. So, you know, I mean, we were just like, you know, feral. That's what my sister says. My sister lives upstate and she's raised her kids more feral than me. I raised my kids in the city. You have to follow them around. And, and we so overparented, I feel as a generation, my, my generation has so overparented. And now I keep telling everyone who will listen, benign neglect, benign <laughs> neglect, you know, just let them do, you know, let them figure it out. I try to do that. I, I do. Yeah, it's like, important. The thing is, though, and, and, and you know, I, I know we're getting off the point here, because um, you know, I gave my kid a phone, and it's got a GPS tracker, so I can kind of let him go off and be by himself, but I can also yeah. know exactly where he is at the same yeah. time. Like, yeah. that's a nice compromise. That's cool. I know. It's interesting, though, because when my kids can't reach me on the phone, they freak out. They have me on their GPS, but they uh -huh. don't want me to have them on, on my GPS, because they're older now, and I'm like, my youngest 
who's away at college. I'm like, come on, what if something happens? I need to know. And so finally she let me have it just in case. I mean, I don't track them, but if I needed to, God forbid, I can. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is such a crazy world right now. And my kids are so angry and hurt and confused and on some level angry at me, you know, think that I'm not liberal enough or I don't know, you know, things have gotten so polarized. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy. And the, and the only thing that I can say that right now music in a way is like the one thing that everybody can kind of just sort of, they don't, you know, it doesn't matter who you have sex with, what color you are, uh, you know, where you come from, what your, you know, religious beliefs are. You can all like the same song, you know, you can all like the same book. You can all like the whatever. So, I mean, for me right now, like my kids are like, you, sh- you know, we should be. And I'm like, I've been watching this my whole life. It's been breaking my heart my whole life, you know, and I hope it changes. I don't know if it's going to change, but something's happening now. Mm-hmm. I mean, some- something's coming and I hope it's something good. As-, as a songwriter, you know, I talk to a lot of songwriters who try to grapple with how to reflect within what they're writing, you know, what they're seeing. Does that stuff, do you find that that stuff creeps up naturally for you in songwriting? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, you know, my stuff is a little bit more personal, but, you know, I've been working on a song about hope and it not only is about a specific person, but it's also just about the idea of hope, you know, and it's a double-edged sword, that word in a way. It's a punch and a kiss, that, that word. So I've been thinking about that, but, uh, you know, for me, it's more like there's a song that I wrote on this record. It's called Everyone Get No One Gets What They Want, right? And the idea of that was, and again, it, it could be parenting. It can also be in my relationship with my husband or my mom, whoever. But that you, you know, you just give everything you have. And, you know, as a mom, it's very easy to do that. You know, like you just get up on the cross, you know, and you're like Saint Mom and you do everything. And what's interesting about it is as much as you give, they'll take. And no one's happy because you know what? They don't want that much from you really, but they don't know it. And you don't want to give that much. So it's sort of, and, and that's true in a romantic relationship. You know, you don't give it all and have someone take it all and walk away feeling good. So it's funny, but that, that was on a personal level and also kind of just like in, out in the world in a way. There's a lot of takers right now, a lot of takers. It's exactly what we you want out of us. Well, true. Hmm? I said it's exactly what you want out of a song, those multi-levels right there. And, and I'll point out, that's my favorite song on the record. Uh, no, no one gets what they want. Um, yeah. Because it's one of those songs that, to me, instantly sounded familiar to the point where I had to go back and look at the notes to make sure that, because there's a couple of covers that we'll talk about here in a second. I was like, this isn't one of the covers, right? This isn't something that I've heard before. Like, and I feel like, as a songwriter, like, that's what you want. Like, yeah. you know, it's a song that yeah, I've lived with great. forever the first time I heard it. Oh, that's nice. I'm glad. I'm glad you like it. Cause I really like that song too. It has, it has so many meanings to me mm-hmm. and it's for so many people, but you know, in a way, even, you know, like in the interviews I've done, like, you know, and people want to talk about my husband cause he's John McEnroe and they, they want to drag him in. And my, you know, I label everybody wants, you know, like ho down John, you know, here he is. Come on. Um, <laughs> and that's okay. You know, that's okay. I have, I've done very little of that. If I lose my train of thought now, I'm going to be really upset. Oh, no, but so I, so, you know, one of these songs, you know, obviously I write songs about my kids or people around me or people I know or whatever, but it, it sort of starts to feel like a little bit weird, like to tell them exactly what I'm talking about with mm-hmm. fire or build a fire. It's funny because it's like, well, I wrote it about us, but I don't want to get any more specific than that. <laughs> right. It's funny. Oh, 
there's a dolphin out there. Um, so it's, it's just funny how, um, you know, I want people to interpret it how they feel, you know, but I do believe, and I, and I, and it's something that I learned that I didn't know this, that you can stay in a relationship for a long time, which I never did before this. The longest relationship I had was four years before this. And that it can get better and deeper and, you know, and closer. Like I had no idea. So that was a surprise. That's why the song was called Surprise first, because it, it really was a surprise. And, and you know what? That's where the rewards are, sticking in. You hang in there with your kids, you're hanging there with your spouse, you hang in, you know, and that's where I feel like there's a lot of very interesting layers of shit to think about and write about at least, you know? And if you're with the right person, you know, especially. Yeah. I was going to say, it's great advice. But again, as a songwriter, that's not a subject that most people uh, get to tackle, uh, probably out of experience. I mean, when we think about love songs and in the rock and roll spectrum, it's heartbreak songs, it's lust, you know, it's, uh, well, yeah. you know, puppy love, whatever. Yeah. But it's, it's rare that you kind of get to, to look at it from that angle. But you know what? You can be in a relationship for a long term and still get your heart broken sure. some days and still feel lustful some days and still want to punch them in the face another day and, you know, or break up with them or whatever. You know, it's funny, like you can have all of those. But I mean, after a certain point, it has to be more than just like, I don't know. I, I just felt, I, I have always felt this way. You know, I want to just talk about some real shit, not mm -hmm. just, you know, I mean, I, I always, I, I write love songs, but I write sad love songs. I don't know why that is, but I do. It's my favorite kind of love song. It's a sad love song. <laughs> because love is sad. Yeah. And I'm in a good long relationship. I'm in a good long marriage here. So it's, it's you know, but so if my, I say that if my wife is watching, it's, I'm not commenting on us anyway. When I Right. <laughs> oh, by the way, by the way, I wrote that, you know, there's a song in the record called I'm Going to Get There. And it was just written about some chick who I know said something to me. That kind of blew my mind in a way, you know, she's married to a super wealthy guy and she was like, I don't care what he does. I'm never leaving because I'm not going to let somebody else have my life. And I was like, wow, you know, and I like filed that away in my head. And so I wrote this song and it's about that, them, whatever. And my husband must have heard the song 15 times and I'm not kidding. And then the 16th, because he doesn't really listen to lyrics. He's obviously trying to learn the changes or whatever. And the 16th time he heard it, he was like, everyone's going to think that's you and me. Why did you write that song? I'm like, no one, first of all, not everyone knows we're married. A, B, you know, it's called poetic license. I hope people don't think everything I'm writing about is about, you know, my real life. Cause it's not uh, right. But he was really worried about that. <laughs> Cause it's a cheating song. <laughs> Um, I'd mentioned a couple of the covers. You do Ode to Billy Joe on here. You also do Downtown Train. It's not the first time you've recorded Downtown Train. Why? Uh, what made this one it come won't by? be the last. <laughs> no. It's a great song. It's one of the greatest songs of all time. Why not? You know what? I love that song so much. And this guy, Bill Whitman, who I was working with, uh, you know, in 1987, when I did what was supposed to be my first solo record, which really wasn't because it was supposed to be a scandal record. That's a whole long story. And it was two producers and me. And I was pregnant with Ruby. I mean, it was just, you know... I, did, I kind of didn't have a whole lot to focus on that. I, I think I sang great on that record, but I wasn't writing a lot. And I, I was just, you know, trying to tread water there. And, but I did think we were putting on a scandal record. And we, he brought me downtown train. I loved it. And then the production just was like very, you know, and the other producer worked with the Hooters a lot. So it got very like stiff to me in a way. And it wasn't the Hooters fault at all, but they were like playing on it. And it, you know, it just didn't, it just didn't come out the way, you know, it wasn't my favorite. Mm -hmm. Then Rod Stewart, you know, a year later or six months later has a hit with it, cuts it very simply and has a hit with it. 
So that hurt a little bit, although I love Rod Stewart and I love Tom Waits. And I'm very happy he had a hit record, no matter who did it, mm -hmm. because ka-ching, you know, but, but it would have been nice if that had been me. So anyway, I didn't play the song live for years, decades. And then one day I just, we tried to work it up, you know, like with the band, like the way we cut it. And then we tried it. And I just said to Keith Mack, who, you know, was in Scandal with me. I was like, let's just play on acoustic guitar and, and do it that way. And so that's how we've been doing it live. And it mm -hmm. kills live because it's just the damn song, right? It's just me and that damn song, which is so, you know, etched in my mind is it might, I know it's, he was in New York. I know where he was. I know the fucking train station. Okay. I mean, that's how much I feel like it's in me. And then when I went to Ilya Tuzinski, who did the, you know, produced this record with Dave and Dan Huff, we just came up with this real cool tremolo sounding guitar and, and, you know, like a little acoustic, but so we did it on electric guitar and just kept it stripped. The big, you know, crescendo moment is the shaker in the in the chorus and i love it i mean it, it came out the way that i wanted so i'm not kidding i may do it again who knows maybe i'll keep recording that song but i felt i wanted to record it the way that it, i feel like it was meant to be recorded in a way just you know very simple and straight ahead so you could hear the beauty of the song because it's it's such a beautiful song and you do a great version of it i was thinking <laughs> you wouldn't be the only artist who's done their song multiple times like um why am i dropping the name as tears go by Marianne um, Faithful. Marianne Faithful. Marianne Faithful. Yes. You know, I probably won't keep recording down down to you, but I could release a live version maybe. You could. You could. Yeah. So it's right you there. Never you've said you've got more music. So so you said, you know, with It's About Time kind of being the joke in the title, but uh, but you're expecting that it is going to be a little bit quicker this time around. I mean, you're already talking about new songs. So hopefully that's oh, yeah. part of the game. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I definitely... I'm working on stuff and, but you know, it's hard right now. I mean, in this quarantine, it's like hard to get together with writers and mm -hmm. people are writing over Zoom. And I, I mean, I, I guess I could start doing that. I just have songs that I need to finish up. And so going back to New York, it'll be easier, but I like sitting in a room with people, you know, so mm -hmm. it's a little bit more challenging to do it this way, but it definitely is not gonna be 28 years or 20 years or eight years, okay? It'll, it'll be sooner rather than later. I hope so. There was one song that was sort of a mystery and, uh, you know, in the, in the mid two thousands, when, uh, when Scandal got back together, there was a song, uh, hard for you to love me or make it hard. It looks like that was going to be released. It was a bit murky and then never ended up. Are, are those songs ever, do you feel like they'll see the light of day or is that left in the past? I don't know, you know, because I love that song mm -hmm. hard for you to love me. And it's so fucking true, but, the music wasn't right you know they, like it was something it was a little bit too linear and i've taken it to a couple of people to try to get it you know to make it better my kids love it i mean there's a bunch of songs that you know there's another song called she hurts herself that my kids really want me to put out so you know i may just do like a the vanity one where like you know this song doesn't maybe have a bigger enough chorus but it really is like you know tells the story you know what i mean right and and she hurts herself does too so and then there's another one. I mean, there's a few. I, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Uh, it's uh, Good Night and Good Luck. That's another one. But it's, and it, that sounds kind of more 80s because it's, it's kind of a fuck you song. <laughs> That's fun. In the old days, these would have been B-sides or, or whatever. I mean, now it's just, yeah. you do the one-off stream songs, you know. I, I don't think anybody puts too much weight like it has to be the hit in those moments. Yeah, maybe, maybe I should just do an EP of B-side. This is the B-side. <laughs> An EP of all the songs that I really love, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> Takes the weight off. 
Uh, I'll look forward to whatever you put out. I, I, again, Patty, it's so great to hear from you again. This record is so good. It's about time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Putting in so that work much. and making these new songs. It's great to have you back. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you. My thanks to Patty Smythe again. The new record is called It's About Time. Thanks to you as well for checking out this episode. Before you get out again, if you're not a subscriber, I do hope you had enough fun that you'll hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with all of the brand new interviews that we put out every week, a brand new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And again, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. After that, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews. Again, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound, they've got your music and film news. You can also find me at the uh, social media spots, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.